It's good to be with you this morning, and uh, every time I uh, am up here and get the opportunity to present to you, to to teach you, to jump into the Word of God, uh, and not only just look at it together, but then have the responsibility to communicate something from the Word of God to you, uh, I am just, uh, again, struck with the, uh, yeah, just the the awesomeness of what this is. Not that I am awesome, uh, but just what this opportunity is here to look into the Word of God together. Uh, so not only am I struck by that just personally as I prepared this week and, and thought and prayed through the passage, but again, uh, just want to give a shout out to our pastor, just give a shout out to Tim who communicates the word every single week. Um, and he is gifted in that and uh, appreciates your prayers for him in that. And may we continue to do so, uh, just lifting him up uh, every week. Uh, Words just don't come out of our mouths. (laughs) Um, It may seem that way sometimes, but uh, just what an awesome thing it is to to sit under uh, a gifted teacher uh, and a preacher of the word. uh, And let's continue to uh, just grow under him and and support him uh, in that. Just a little review of where we're at. We're right square smack dab in the middle of this refresh series uh, of looking back on sort of the five foundational pillars of who we are as a church and what we're trying to do. Uh, We're trying to develop and just build up fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. And what does that look like? Well, there's certain characteristics that we would hope are evident in a fully devoted disciple. First, they're gospel-centered. Last week, Joe talked about being mission-driven. Today, we're going to look at pursuing holiness Uh, Next week, T.A. is going to communicate and talk about being disciple-making, and then Tim will be back uh, and wrap up the series talking about being humbly unified. All of these are characteristics uh, of what a fully devoted disciple looks like. So as I was thinking about this this week, like, man, how did I get the one, how did I get the topic, pursuing holiness, was it short straw or something like that? And as I'm trying to figure it out, why did they you know, choose me to, to communicate pursuing holiness? Well, the only thing I could come up with is that Michelle tells me all the time how perfect I am. <laughs> and so I'm thinking maybe that has something to do with it. And what's interesting about that is even when things seem to be going sideways... It's amazing what happens. Like this week, Michelle was, was busy out doing something, and the kitchen was a mess. There were dishes everywhere, food left over from dinner. And she's like, Kurt, can you just like, clean this up before I get back? Yeah, sure, no problem, honey. Well, I got distracted. I got busy doing other things and, and didn't quite get it up to snuff. And she came home, and man, you know, I'm still doing pretty good because she looked at me and she said, well, this is just perfect. <laughs> so... I figure I'm the guy for the job uh, today. In all seriousness, uh, no, I am not the guy for the job, uh, because as we think of what holiness is and the definition of that, uh, I'm not that guy, Uh, nor do I think any of us in this room is, just based on our standing of of who we are, uh, just in our humanity. But that's the hope that we're going to communicate today, is that The mark of a devoted disciple is not you are absolutely holy and you are living in sinless perfection. No, the mark of the devoted disciple is that you are pursuing holiness, 
that you are desiring holiness and chasing after it with every fiber of your being. That's what our hope this morning is, and that's what I hope to to communicate. We think of definitions, and when we think of of pursuing holiness or holy, I think sometimes we get sidetracked a little bit and think of, well, it's morality, right? Or, Or what comes out is, or as we try to describe it or think about it, it really just is, is morality and, and not true holiness. Description or a definition of holiness is absolutely unique, set apart, utterly different than anything else, pure and perfect. And this is the most accurate descriptor of God. We just sang about it. There is no one that can do what God does. There is no one who is like our God. He is holy above and apart from everything and everyone else. It's really an awesome picture. However, as we think of this and as we try to process this through in our, in our human understandings, I think we, we, we downgrade or we de-emphasize that really awesome, wonderful picture of holy when we only just merely glimpse at Scripture and don't really go deep within Scripture, we end up ritualizing holiness. And, and what I mean by that is then when it comes to the application of that or our attempted pursuit of holiness, it, again, is limited to us simply being a morally good person, to be a person of good deeds. Or at the same time, we will then, you know, expand our, quote unquote, expand our definition to say, or, or we begin to attribute holy to physical objects, right? Like we think of those old, big, giant stone cathedrals. We say, ooh, that's a, a holy place. And we sort of walk by those with, you know, standing up a little straighter and our, our head held a little higher. We even can can look at our physical copy of the Bible and say, this book is holy, and we we sort of treat it different than anything else, which, yeah, in a sense is is good, but do you open it up and tear it apart and and just digest everything that is in there, right? I remember as a kid that uh, I grew up as a a pastor's kid in the house of a pastor, obviously. <laughs> but what I meant to say is I grew up in the parsonage. So we lived right next door to the church. And so I had three sisters. There was four of us. And I think when the long, cold winters of western New York, mom would kick us out of the house, send us over to the church to run around. And, you know, there were certain places that you just couldn't go and play. One was the sanctuary because that was holy. And we were just, whoo, held our breath. How we treated our Bibles as kids, right? You couldn't, like, put it on the floor. And again, all of that is good. But does that make me holy? No. It just makes me, you know, a person attempting to do good deeds. And that's not what we're talking about. All of us, all of that, I should say, morality, the focus on morality instead of holiness, is attempted man-made holiness. And anything man-made has a limited endurance And so the thought of pursuing holiness can feel like a constricting weight and a constricting chore and and something so heavy that we can't bear up under it. And and, and where are we left? We're left thinking that, man, this is an impossible task. Morality versus holiness, the, the, the definition of what that looks like played out is morality is mechanical conformity to the law. 
Whereas holiness is a motivating love that's desiring more of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a, a great definition of this, and it's on the screen for you. And he says, and this is a, a danger for ourselves to be on guard against, uh, to, to, to look at our own heart and say, where am I? Am I simply trying to be a, a morally good person or am I truly pursuing holiness? He says, the moralist and the saint may look alike on the outside but both have their, because both have their eye on the same law. But one acts mechanically and the other acts out of a love for God and others. Two pursuits. We can pursue morality or we can pursue holiness. And there are two very different destinations in those pursuits. The destination pursuing morality is that we're left exhausted because, again, anything man-made has a limited endurance. We're left exhausted, leading us to frustration because we can just never quite get there, and inevitably that will bring us to compromise. We're exhausted, we're frustrated, we can't quite meet that ideal on our own, and so instead of striving for the destination, we change the destination. And we begin to compromise and say, good enough. I don't have to quite reach this level. I can settle down here and be okay. I'm, I'm morally good enough. I'm still doing more good things than bad. So that's fine. I want to change our perspective this morning and again, focus us and zero us in on holiness and take away this thought and really challenge this thought that maybe we're carrying this morning, that this thought of pursuing holiness is just way too heavy, way too, way too, you know, I can't quite figure it out, and and focus us in on the truth that pursuing holiness brings life. It's not this just impossible task that will wear us out. Pursuing holiness brings life. A passage that I want to zero in on this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This is the the passage that we have tagged and attached to pursuing holiness. And it's Paul writing a letter to the Ephesians, and he is in prison uh, writing this letter, writing this great encouragement, this great challenge that we can take and jump into and attach ourselves to as well uh, as we are encouraged and challenged to pursue holiness in our own lives. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul says, Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In this passage, Paul starts out by immediately communicating his position, and I think we also can immediately identify with this position. He says he is a prisoner. And in the thought, again, of pursuing holiness, when we have maybe transitioned a little bit and are pursuing morality instead and not quite getting the picture of pursuing holiness, we feel like that prisoner, again, because it's just this long, heavy pursuit, this arduous pursuit, Uh, And man, it feels like I am locked up and can't get quite free of uh, what I'm trying to attain to. So he says he's a prisoner. Again, we can identify with that, but don't overemphasize prisoner in this at the expense 
of overlooking what he is saying, what his encouragement is, and that is he is urging us to walk worthy of the calling. Focus on that, the calling, underline that, highlight that in your, in your Bible. What is this calling, he says, that you have received? And he's writing it to everyone, not just a few, not just, you know, a, a leader or, or someone else. He's, he's writing this to everyone saying, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received, that you all have received. So what is this? This is not vocational. This is not, you know, making a decision of, you know, trying to discern from the Lord, where should I live or, or whom should I marry or, or how should I serve in the church? All of those are, are giftings, and every one of those is going to look different for, for all of us. Just as God has gifted every single one of you differently, the action of those gifts is going to look differently. So it's not talking about gifting. It's talking about a calling that is much more universal, that is true and the same for every single one of us. And that calling is this. Throughout Scripture, we see the challenge, the command, the words of the Lord saying, Be holy as I am holy. This is our calling. Paul is urging us, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling, to be holy as I am holy. Not I, Paul, but I, God. Be holy as I am holy. That is what we are challenged with and encouraged and wanting to be pointing ourselves at. Throughout Scripture, again, we, we see those commands, and there's nine specific references to this command in Scripture that, that say the actual words, be holy as I am holy. And this is just a very short list, right? If we were then to go and expand this list and look at all of the reference, referencing and talking about sanctification, about really, again, offering ourselves up before the Lord and letting him purify us and make us holy, make us more like him, this list will go on for pages and pages. Uh, so this isn't just some one offhand reference. This is a common theme throughout Scripture, that we are called to be holy. How is this possible? How can we be holy He's, he's calling us to be holy. Again, we've sort of felt the weight and the difficulty of that and, and maybe the, the misunderstanding of that and the, the misapplication of that. So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to be holy? Verses 2 and 3, Paul is telling us, I think, the exact way how. He says, again, urge you to walk worthy in the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Five emphases. Em, that's a hard word to say. Em, emphases? Is that right? Any English teachers here? Okay, I'm getting some head nods. All right. Five points to consider about that. <laughs> and they're listed there. We see the, the words highlighted there. Humility. Gentleness, patience, bearing love, be a peacemaker. These are all things that uh, show our pursuit of, of holiness. So again, simple, right? So for the next 20 minutes, we're just going to look at seven things for every single one of this. Seven ways to make you more humble. Seven ways to make you more gentle. Do you want to know how to be more patient? I'll tell you next week. Right? Bearing of, no, this, this isn't a list 
of, okay, here are seven things that I just need to somehow cram into my life, to cram into my heart and just make myself and knuckle under and knuckle down and and say, okay, I just really got to work on being more humble this week. No, it's not that. This isn't isn't a checklist that, that Paul is talking about. What Paul is identifying and uh, pointing out and, and really pushing forward is that when we look at this list again, does this sound familiar? Any other reference in Scripture? If we flip over to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, these are also fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 <clears throat> is the outflow, the overflow of a life marked by Holy Spirit transformation. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. These are all marks of the Holy Spirit. So Paul is not saying, pursue holiness, the calling that you have received, be holy as I am holy, just work really hard at these five specific things and even more in the fruits of the Spirit and you'll be A-OK. No, he's pointing out that a life that is holy is fully submitted and surrendered to God. A life marked by the Holy Spirit is a life fully submitted and surrendered to God. This is a life that is holy. How do we do that? I can say up here and, you know, I don't know, grab some of you and like give you the old arm bar and the the chicken wing twist behind your back and say, submit! That's how you do it. No. Submission is, again, surrendering to God. And I think we can do this, and the only way we can do this is when we understand this, this one concept. It's a simple little concept. Sort of smile here because Raquel Prentice is here this morning. I used to say this all the time. Uh, she was in our church in Ohio where I was pastoring. Um, and so maybe you remember it. <laughs> but understanding this one little concept, and that is... God responds to honesty every time. God responds to honesty every time. So what does a life look like? How do I fully surrender and submit myself to the Lord? First, it is by understanding that God responds to honesty every time. What I mean by that, and maybe it can help illustrate this by painting a picture here, and, uh, and that is ask you the question, have you ever been like way outside of your depth and felt that tension of being way outside your depth. Ever been there? Like, man, I do not belong here. This is just way outside, not only of my comfort zone, but maybe even my ability. Moment of confession here and to be transparent before you, I have this like totally weird, irrational fear of being invited to a painting party. You know, like everybody goes to the art studio and everybody paints the picture and has a great time together. And at the end, everybody has this like wonderful Picasso that they've, or Monet that they've constructed. Man, oh, this like touches on all of my insecurities and immaturities for sure. And thinking like, man, I'm going to be there and for sure, you know, I've seen evidence where everybody does come out with a pretty decent looking picture and I'm going to have a stick figure. And it's going to be crooked. (laughs) 
And so that's just what I think of being like way outside of my comfort zone. Like me, an artist? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, God did not come anywhere close to even giving me a hint of uh, those abilities. Or, or how about if we all like went outside and we had a uh, football throwing competition with a regulation NFL size ball uh, and Patrick Mahomes showed up, right? We got some pretty decent athletes in the room here this morning, but I'm gonna, gonna say that none of us are going to come anywhere close. None of us is gonna win. <laughs> uh, I think that's a, a fairly safe assessment. Right? Being way outside of our depth, understanding who we are and our own abilities and our own human limitations, and being in a situation where it is just like off the charts, like different than what we have uh, in our capacity. The book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah has a vision and is standing before God, is literally in his presence. Before God, <clears throat> Isaiah was confronted by God's holiness. And again, this picture of holiness, the definition of holiness, completely unique, set apart, utterly different than anything else, pure, holy, perfect. This is God. Isaiah, pretty famous dude in the Bible, right? Prophet, even wrote a book about him. Even he, in God's presence, is very aware of his own failings, of his own fallibility, of his own sin, of his own imperfection when standing in the presence of perfection. God is so far above and beyond anything that we can think of or conceptualize. It's a hundred times more than that. And yet this is where Isaiah was. We see in the Bible that there is no one, there is no one, nothing that can stand in the presence of God and survive because of just the intensity of God's perfection that in God's perfect presence, sin cannot exist. Even one slight, smallest sin, it cannot exist. So we see other examples of, of people being close to God, not exactly in his presence, but just again to see how unique it was. In the book of Exodus, Moses, uh, God appears before Moses or speaks to Moses through the burning bush. It wasn't even actually God's full manifest presence, but speaking through the burning bush. And the first thing Moses had to do was, was God says, take off your sandals because where you are standing is holy ground. There is something significant taking place here. On Mount Horeb, God, Moses actually has God's presence, God's goodness pass by. God has to hide Moses in a rock and put his hand over him to protect him. And even then, it was only the back of God that passed by, and it almost tore the mountain apart. This amazing picture of God's holiness. The high priest in the temple could only go into the Holy of Holies where God's presence manifests and resided um, only once per year. And he had to do everything exactly perfectly right or else he would die in that presence. They tied a rope around him, right? Uh, in case he keeled over and they could drag him out and they didn't have to wait a year, wait a year he, before the next high priest could go in and maybe 
dust up a, a little bit. The point here is, again, have you ever been in that situation where you're completely outside your depth? And if we could magnify that by about a million, here is where Isaiah is standing in the presence of holy God. Isaiah's most honest assessment in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Very honest assessment, and he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. There is not a more honest assessment to being in the presence of the Lord than this right here. In God's presence, Isaiah is again very aware of his sin, his imperfection, his infallibility, and simply calls it out because he knows that in the presence of the Lord, I'm toast. I don't know if Isaiah at this moment was expecting like lightning bolts or just to fall over dead, God to do one of these, you know, like. But he was expecting, this is the end of me. I'm done. Because God is holy and perfect, and woe to me, I am not. What is the result? What happened here? The rest of this passage? Yes, we see the absolute truth that God is holy. But we also see the picture that there is another clarifying picture here, and it is another truth in that God is merciful, that God responds to honesty every time. A seraph takes the coal, takes a coal from the altar and touches Isaiah's lips and says this amazing statement, says, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It's so significant. Again, because of the impossibility of be holy as I am holy, Isaiah is aware of that and responds honestly by saying, woe is me, I'm done for. I can't, there's nothing that I can do right here in this moment to in any way, shape, or form bring myself to you, God, because you are so far apart from me. And God responds by sending the seraph to take the coal and cleansing Isaiah's lips and saying, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. God's holiness is totally unique. See that in Isaiah 6, 6 and 7. As that took place, that cleansing of Isaiah. In God's presence, the coal touches human, fallible, sinful Isaiah. And this did not in any way, to any degree, corrupt or defile God. It's unique, again, and important to point out because everywhere in like Old Testament scripture and all of the regulations, the, the, the purity rites of, of Leviticus and Deuteronomy uh, emphasize and point out time and time again that do not touch unclean things because if you do, you will become unclean. That that impurity defiles completely the person who touches the thing that is unclean. And yet here we have completely the opposite taking place where God touches Isaiah with this coal and nothing happened to God, for sure, of course, but the purity of God transforms Isaiah and he says, your sin is taken away, your sin is atoned for. God's holiness purifies Isaiah and makes him holy. Pursuing holiness brings life. 
Isaiah's life is marked by the purifying presence of God. As our reality of who we are and who God is clarifies, as our idea and again our reality clarifies, our position compared to God's holiness, the only response is honesty. And I want to encourage you with that. To be honest before the Lord, and when we are honest before the Lord, our lives are marked by the purifying presence of God's Holy Spirit. When our lives are marked by the purifying presence of the Holy Spirit, it's amazing what happens. That transformation takes place, and those fruits of the Spirit become evident. How do I become more humble, patient, gentle, peace-loving? Not by creating a list or following some news article that I find of how to be more patient, but it's admitting before the Lord, God, I have a problem with pride. I have a problem with humility. And left to my own devices, I am impatient. I am not gentle, and I can be divisive. And when we are honest before the Lord to such a degree that coal touches our lips and we are transformed by the Holy Spirit and what he begins to do in our lives. Moving forward in Scripture and into the New Testament, we see that Jesus is that holy coal. Throughout the New Testament, we see the incarnate Jesus interact with sin-stained, unholy humanity in a manner that reveals and clarifies and leaves no doubt about the heart of God. Time after time in the Gospels, we see Jesus making intentional contact with unclean and brings healing, restoration, reconciliation. He brings salvation. Ultimately, he was the perfect sacrifice on the cross. The curtain in that Holy of Holies separating us from the presence of God was torn and access was granted through what Christ did. He is that that holy coal. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 says this, and it describes it well. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has, <clears throat> everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the holy coal. We've been given, we are given the we are reconciled to God, but we've also been given that that message of reconciliation to to carry with us and to carry forward. And as Joe brought out last week being mission driven, this is a a really exciting unique thing that we get to take part in, that we get to participate in is that as God's holiness transforms us, as we are honest and open before him with who we are and submit and surrender ourselves to him, 
The Holy Spirit purifies us, and now we are the bringers of hope to the hurting world around us. That is part of being mission-driven. We are a holy people, a royal priesthood, bringing the truth of the gospel with us to a sin-stained world. God uses us, he works through us to bring good news to the poor, to bring freedom to the prisoner, to bring sight to the blind, and to release the oppressed. The heart of God, the heart of Christ. It's because of this, this is how Paul can say, even as a prisoner, being a prisoner for the Lord is totally worth it because he is living a life worthy of the calling, pursuing God, pursuing holiness. He urges us, and I urge you to do the same. Live a life worthy of our calling, our calling to be holy, being fully submitted to Christ, marked by the Holy Spirit, flowing and overflowing into humility, gentleness, patience, a bearing love, and a unifying peace. And it all starts with our honest confession that, God, I am a sinner, I am unholy, I am impure. And admitting, simply admitting that. And God's Holy Spirit goes into work and beautiful transformation takes place. It's a little bit of the definition, or that is the definition of what it looks like to pursue holiness as a devoted disciple. And part of this series and what we want to do is just to highlight some things of, of, okay, that's the definition, that's what it looks like. Now, what are we as a church committed to? What is LCF's commitment in this? And LC, LCF, it's only three letters, it should be easier to say. LCF's commitment in this, there's ways that, that we're here to stand with you to say we want to walk alongside you and encourage you in your pursuit of holiness. Discipleship relationships. We spent the better part of, of last year, 2019, really emphasizing and highlighting and developing discipleship and what it looks like. And again, encourage you, if you're not in a discipleship relationship already, to get in one. Uh, to be vulnerable and, and humble enough to say, hey, I want to be discipled or I'm willing to disciple someone else. Um, and uh, again, the sharpening that takes place, the accountability that takes place goes a long way towards pursuing holiness together. It's not just for adults, truth seekers, and kids point ministry, two fantastic ways to get your kid on the track of pursuing holiness, of pursuing hard after God with, with open hearts. Talk to Catherine uh, and Libby uh, and they can get you plugged in with all things that are happening in kids' ministry. Student ministry. Uh, Adam, right over here, give us a wave. Talk to Adam about getting your, your student involved in student ministry. There's Bible studies during the week. Uh, youth group Sunday nights uh, for middle school and high school. And uh, just great ways, again, to keep your uh, students focused on Christ. Small groups. Uh, those are still going and uh, may look a little bit different during this, this era, but there are still groups that are getting together and studying the word together and encouraging one another. That's another way and something we will always promote here as a church. And of course, Sunday morning. We so desire for you to be a part of this body, and that involves and includes 
being a part of this, this worship, whether it's physically here in the building or whether it's online, you are still part of it and investing in your relationship with God and connecting as best we can corporately does something and encourages us and moves us forward in the pursuit of, of holiness. I want to highlight this as well, and I hope I'm not stealing any of T.A.'s thunder for next week. And uh, if I am, well, that's too bad. He and I switched weeks this week, and so now I'm going first, and so now I have the, you know, all kinds of freedom to hopefully, potential, not hopefully, yeah, a little bit hopefully, steal, steal his thunder. And that is on the LCF website. Uh, I have up there, it says Bible Initiative, but if you go to the LCF website and click on the tab that says Discipleship, you will find just a truckload of resources for your own investment. One of those is the Bible Initiative, but there are so many other resources there for you to get plugged in and go deeper and grow closer to the heart of God. Uh, And so I just highlight all of these things and and put put them out here before you to say, this is what we are here to do as a church. We are standing behind you and with you uh, in this and and part of this. The second thing, that's what the church is is committed to, but we also want to take a moment and really challenge you of the personal application. What is your responsibility in this? What is your investment in this? The favorite uh, quote from John Piper, it's found in his book, The Dangerous Duty of Delight. He says, when our back is to the breathtaking beauty of God, we cast a shadow on the earth and fall in love with it. But it does not satisfy. And I love this quote because of the picture that I get about pursuing holiness. That it is only when my back, when I am faced away from the magnificence of Jesus Christ, that I notice anything about my life. That I notice the things that I might be really good at. Like, hey, I like that part of my shadow. Or the things that I'm terrible at, like being invited to an artist party. right? And begin to worry about that or wish that those things were different. So the personal responsibility, my encouragement to you is to turn your gaze. To turn your gaze back to the magnificent, beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. Psalm 63, 1 through 5. This is what it looks like. And may this be our prayer moving forward into this week. It says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. This is what it looks like to pursue holiness, to say, God, I eagerly seek you. I'm turning my gaze back to you and this beautiful picture of who he is. Again, our emphasis in highlighting what LCF is committed to and challenging all of you to a a personal responsibility response is it's not for our own sake, meaning We're not here for the sake or the fame of of LCF or for any of us as, as pastors. We don't want you more committed to church because that looks better for us. No, exactly not. 
We do not want you to fall in love with this or us. You're an encouraging bunch, and we really appreciate that. Don't ever change that. But our our goal is not popularity. To simply be looked upon favorably as, as pastors or staff, we most desire for you to have the most accurate, expanding picture of and to fall in love with and to turn your gaze upon the all-sufficiency of Christ. So my final challenge uh, is this, just for personal application. A good question to personally evaluate where we are in pursuing holiness is to ask yourself the question, who am I becoming by what I'm repeatedly doing? Who am I becoming by what I'm repeatedly doing? That's not a question of perfection. That's not a question saying you will only be holy when you achieve perfection. No. But it is saying and encouraging us, pursue holiness. Pursue holiness with the passion and the desire of Psalm 63. Be open and honest with where you're at, with where your struggles are, with with where you're aware of this is where I fall short. If I were standing before the Lord, this is where I would say, woe is me and, and what it is. And invite Christ into the gunk, into the sin, into the insecurities, into the immaturities of your own heart. And that is a heart, that is a life fully submitted and surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And he will begin his transformative work. Pursue holiness, value integrity, follow hard after Christ. Let's continue in worship. Amen. Join me in prayer as we close. God, we praise you. We thank you. Uh, We just desire more and more of you. And God, thank you that as we seek you, as we come before you just open and honestly, we expose before you our own uh, impurities, our own sinfulness. As we're honest with you before you, God, we don't find condemnation and disqualification. Uh, We find forgiveness. We find grace. We find reconciliation. So God, may this week be a week where we are transformed by your holiness that we would uh, just be sensitive to your spirit leading us, bringing these aspects of our life before you where maybe we're pursuing something else but, but not holiness. May you bring those to our minds so that we may uh, just deal with those, confess those, and follow more closely and harder after you. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.